Chapter 17. The Church. An article of the faith according to the Apostles' Creed is the Holy Catholic Church, or in the words of the Nicene Creed, I believe one Catholic and apostolic church. This is now, for many faithful Christians, the only difficult article of the creed, in view of the apostasy of the institutional church and its obscene waywardness. It sometimes takes a strong stomach to confess the creed at this point. This same revulsion is felt by Jesus Christ, who declared to the Laodicean church, I will spew thee out of my mouth, Revelation 3.16. But such churches are not churches, but synagogues of Satan, Revelation 2.9. Not an article of faith, but a necessary enemy as the church separates in terms of Christ. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 25, of the church, defines the church clearly. 1. The Catholic or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one order under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. 2. The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion, together with their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. 3. Unto this Catholic visible church, Christ hath given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world, and doth by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. 4. This Catholic Church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible, and particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure, according as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. 5. The purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become not churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. 6. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only head of the church, and the claim of any man to be the vicar of Christ and the head of the church is unscriptural, without warrant in fact, and is a usurpation dishonoring to the Lord Jesus Christ. The marks of the true church are thus, first, the true preaching of the word of God, the infallible scriptures, Second, the right administration of the sacraments, i.e., in faithfulness to Scripture. And third, the faithful exercise of discipline in terms of Scripture. The means of grace are the word and the sacraments. Of the relationship of the church to the means of grace, Burkhoff has written, The church is not a means of grace alongside of the word and the sacraments, because her power in promoting the work of the grace of God consists only in the administration of these. She is not instrumental in communicating grace except by means of the word and of the sacraments. Moreover, faith, conversion, and prayer are first of all fruits of the grace of God, though they may in turn become instrumental in strengthening the spiritual life. They are not objective ordinances, but subjective conditions for the possession and enjoyment of the blessings of the covenant. Moreover, as Burkhoff also pointed out, the means of grace cannot of themselves confer grace as if they were endured with a magical power to produce holiness. This does not signify that the means of grace can be regarded as purely accidental and indifferent. 
Although they are simply the means, not the source, they are the God-appointed means of grace. The doctrine of visibility is an important and central aspect of the definition of the Church. As the Confession declares, this Catholic Church hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. The Catholic or invisible Church is defined in section 1 as the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof. This means that the invisible church is more inclusive a term than the church triumphant in that it embraces far more than the church in heaven. The visible church, however, is on earth. It is not a perfect church, and the purest churches under heaven are subject both to mixture and error. The pure churches are those in whom the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. Because Jesus Christ declared that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church, Matthew 16:18, there shall be always a church on earth to worship God according to his will. The gates of hell means the powers, council, or authority of hell. The city council in ancient times convening publicly before the gates prevail here has the force of withstand, and the Berkeley version translates it, the gates of hell shall not hold out against her. This connotates clearly aggressive action against hell by the church and defensive action by hell. It is heretical thinking to assume that the action of the church is defensive. It is dangerous and creates a mood receptive to the enthronement of Satan for the church to assume that its position is a defensive retreat towards the rapture or towards the second coming. The church, however small and however much a Gideon's band, is the aggressor against the powers of darkness, who, in constant frenzy, try to barricade themselves in their towers of Babel against the sovereign and omnipotent God. The more faithful the church, the greater its visibility, i.e., the more clearly it witnesses to the word and power of Christ in this world. But the true church is not alone in claiming visibility, in claiming to be the visible representative of Christ in visible order. The state claims its own kind of visibility. The state sees itself as the visible expression of the true order of man, and sometimes also of whatever gods may be. It then becomes a contest, first, as to who represents God's true order, and second, what is the order which is to be represented. The humanistic order strives for visibility, first, as the dominant force in man's society, as the omnipresent fact on the human scene, and second, as the new order of salvation. Accordingly, man's dominant concern in the era of humanism is political, since politics is the area where the hidden deity becomes visible. The 19th century was thus the era of political visibility. The religion of most men tended increasingly to become political. Democracy, as the hope of the world found its culminating messianic expression in Woodrow Wilson's dream of making the world safe for democracy by war and diplomacy. Especially after the mid-20th century, man's hope became more and more politico-economic. Yu Thant, Secretary General of the United Nations, declared in 1967, In this century, political ideology has taken the place formerly occupied by religion as a main source of strife in the world. To have peace, we must therefore transcend political ideology by syncretism and move in terms of economics instead. After all, as Yu Thant pointed out, the simplest citizen can grasp the fact that a fraction of the money that will be spent throughout the world on armaments in 1967 could finance economic and social programs, both national and global, on a scale hitherto undreamed of. 
In other words, if people will overlook their political differences and will unite in terms of socialistic economics, they will see the visible breakthroughs of human development, which would make the world rival all the utopias of the philosophers. Since the visibility which the false churches strive for is the appearance of the world's socialist order, i.e. total statism, part of the false church's mission is the dismantling and the disappearance of the church. Various plans are regularly suggested for eliminating segments of the church as a first step. Thus, Dr. John Dillenberger, Dean of San Francisco's Graduate Theological Union, has declared, if we sold five out of every six church buildings in the country and put all that money to better use in serving the needs of the people, the mission of the church would not suffer but would probably be enhanced. Such a plan has already been in operation in communist countries. Dillenberger's concern is a humanist one, with human need, not the biblical commission. The purpose of the synagogues of Satan is thus to make the church invisible in the sense of being non-existent as a church and the state visible as the true order of man. As against this, the Christian must affirm, I believe one Catholic and apostolic church, one universal church established in the apostolic faith, and the gates of hell shall not hold out against her. For this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, 4. Since visibility means power, the false churches strive for a visibility which will give them world power. The pseudo-visibility is a claim to represent, in a plenary ability, the infallibility and authority of God. Whether Protestant, Roman Catholic, or Eastern, the Church then identifies itself with the Incarnation, speaks under its own terms with plenary authority, and declares that its sacraments accomplish what Christ alone is empowered to do. Instead of God being the rock on which the Church is founded, the Church becomes the rock. The term rock is in scripture always a symbol of the triune God, and its use by Jesus Christ in reference to Peter confirmed this. This was known to the early church and subsequently and was well stated by Alfric in a homily. Jesus then said, What say ye that I am? Peter answered him, Thou art Christ, the living God's Son. The Lord to him said for an answer, Blessed art thou, Simon, dove's child, bade the expounder, unveils to us the deepness of this lesson. The Lord said to Peter, Thou art rockin, literally stonin, having the same relation to stone as rockin to rock, golden to gold, and earthen to earth, etc. For the strength of his faith, and for the firmness of his confession, he received that name, because he joined himself with steadfast mind to Christ, who is called a rock by the Apostle Paul. And I will build my church upon this rock, that is, upon the faith which thou confessest. All God's convocation is built upon the rock, that is, upon Christ, because he is the ground wall of all the structures of his own church. All God's churches are accounted one convocation, and this is built with chosen men, not with dead stones. And all the building of those lively stones is laid upon Christ, because we are, through faith, accounted his members, and he is our aller head. Whosoever builds off the ground wall, his work shall fall, to his great loss. Jesus said, The gates of hell shall not have power against my church. Sins and erroneous doctrines are hell's gates, because they lead the sinful man, as it were, through a gate into hell's torment. Many are these gates, but none of them shall have power against the holy convocation, which is built upon the firm rock, Christ, because the believer, through Christ's protection, escapes the perils of the devilish temptations. 
Very early, too, a pseudo-visibility was claimed by means of the doctrine of transubstantiation. Within the ranks of the ostensibly orthodox, this was advocated by Pascius Rodbertus, abbot of Corby, but answered about A.D. 840 at the request of the Emperor Charles the Bold by Bertram, monk of Corby, who defended the doctrine of the real presence as against transubstantiation. The Catechism of the Council of Trent taught that in the consecrated wafer there are the nerves and bones as well as the body and blood of Christ. The true church, this Catholic church, hath been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. How is this greater visibility apparent? The visibility of the church is not in its institutional presence, but in its fulfillment of its calling. When the church truly fulfills her calling, the consequences are apparent in the diffusion and enforcement of God's law order, so that every area of life is brought under the dominion of the triune God. A living tree manifests itself by green leaves and fruit. A living church is visible in that it bears fruit unto God. If the visibility which the church seeks is the visibility of man, it will bear fruit unto humanism and will make human welfare the test of faith. After St. Augustine, we can therefore say that the two cities, empires, or orders are seeking realization in history, are attempting to become the visible order of history. These two are the city of God and the city of man. The strategy of the city of man is to deny the antithesis between the two orders in order to neutralize and destroy the city of God. Humanism seeks to destroy Christianity and the church in a number of ways. One common means is to redefine God into a humanistic concept. Thus, one humanist has written, Theist and atheist will come to agreement and mutual understanding when they admit their inability to understand the supreme cause of the universe and agree to give it a name, to call it God. The time has come for us to rescue the word of God from the sordid meanings now sometimes given to it, such as being a vengeful being in human form, temperamental and jealous of other similar gods, and merciful only to those who grovel before him. Let us respond to our beliefs by setting God up on a pinnacle of immutable justice and fair dealings for men of all races, colors, and creeds. But let us recognize that anything finite is beyond identification by the infinite mind. The next step is to separate God from religion and the church. Thus, one clergyman has written in a book dedicated to this cause, I am on the staff of an Anglican parish in Toronto. I claim to be a Christian and an Anglican, yet I can say in all seriousness that there is no God. This same clergyman writes, Jesus, like Yahweh, is the great atheist. He took advantage of people's hospitality, fed upon their food, rode on the best vehicles he could achieve, lived it up among the drunkards, and maybe got drunk. Moreover, it is one of the discoveries of the present age that you can be a Christian and an atheist. Church worship gets no respect. It is obvious that our present services are useless. At the same time, it is held that churches must withdraw from any attempt to influence social life because the place of religion is in private life. The area of Christianity is held to be the private life of the believer. In other words, all social life must be humanistic and only the inner life Christian. But true religion is a total concern. Any area vacated by a religion is only occupied by another religion because all of life is inescapably religious. Thus, to ask Christianity to confine itself to personal piety is to demand that it commit suicide, and pietism is a step in the direction of suicide. The concern of the church is the word of God, but the word speaks to all of life. 
If the proclamation of the gospel be not Catholic, then it has ceased to be the gospel. It is no longer the good news for every area of life and the claim of God to total sovereignty. The false gods go, and so do the false churches. But God being sovereign, his word endures forever, and his elect are unshakable in him, and his church is destined to conquer.